Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cloud English Podcast. My name is Luke. It is October 8th, 2023. How exciting. How exciting. Today, we're going to be talking about reading, believe it or not. If you can believe that, reading. That's an exciting topic, right? Not just talking about reading. We're going to be doing some reading. I'm going to be giving you some tips for improving your reading, to improve your reading comprehension. We're going to be talking about summaries. I'm going to be actually reading a short story so that you can practice your listening comprehension. What? Practice reading or listening? Which one? Well, both, let's say. And other things, perhaps, too. Anyway, it's good to have you. Welcome. It is Sunday. It's Sunday. Happy Sunday, everyone. I hope you had a good weekend. If you're watching this in 10 years, there are still weekends, I would imagine, unless things have really changed around there in the future. There's no such thing as weekends. Well, all right. So you're listening to this or you're watching this. It's 2023 right now, as I said. And you're listening to this or you're watching this in the distant future for some reason. Let's say 20. When would uh, things like this still exist? I don't know. Let's say 2040. If weekends don't exist anymore in 2040, what would be the thing that made them stop? I can think of only one thing which would be that AI becomes so powerful that it does absolutely everything for us. And all we do instead of working and doing stuff is wake up in the morning and have a few thoughts and say a few sentences to our AI assistants and then they start doing everything. That we're just totally free all the time and every day is the weekend. In which case, if every day is like the weekend, what's the point of having weekends? But then we have a new problem, right? Because we gain so much meaning from what we do for a living. Honestly, because we, we, we do stuff, we do stuff not for free so that we can make money to live, right? Some of the things that we do not for free, we, we might continue to do, but I would imagine most things that we do not for free, we wouldn't continue to do if we didn't have to worry about money, if we had as much money as we needed or money didn't exist because we just could immediately 3D print anything, right? So if there's no work, you don't have to work, and everything is just abundant, you can immediately have anything you want, then the deeper problem becomes it's Maslow's, hierar Maslow's excuse me, hierarchy of needs. We must self-actualize, which may be the most challenging thing, right? What do you do when there's nothing to do? <laughs> How do you create meaning in your life when there are literally no... Uh, obstacles for you to become comfortable <laughs> and nothing for you to achieve. What do you do? That's a challenge. I don't know. 
That's a tough one. What would you do? What do you do or would you do with your life if you had zero uh, needs and you knew that over the next 20, 30, 40 years, you would have zero needs? What would you do in the day? Would you just hang out with your friends and family? Would you become a full-time surfer? Would you help people? Would you become a dentist? <laughs> Would you be a YouTuber? <laughs> what would you do? It's an interesting question. Anyway, let's get into it. Uh, Catherine says, I would volunteer. What kind of volunteer volunteering would you do? I'm curious. I don't think it's too far off. Maybe not that extreme, but at least to the point where, in, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, AI assistants can do most, most work and we can just talk to them a little bit and, and then that's our job. I don't think we're too far away from that. Anyway, so let's, let's see. What is there at the top here that I want to mention? Anything? everything. Uh, if you haven't already done so and you uh, have just joined, well, welcome. Actually, if you've just joined or you're just listening or watching for the very first time, I don't know. You don't have to subscribe if you don't want to because you, you might be just trying it out, seeing if you like, if you like these. However, uh, if you regularly come back to watch and listen and you get value from that experience, then hit the like button and subscribe. Subscribe so that you can see future things. I'm putting out more videos per week now. Uh, previously, I had been putting out two. Now I'm going to be putting out three videos per week in addition to a live podcast episode. When I say live, I mean recorded live, which will be every Sunday. And so feel free to subscribe there. You can also get a free course, uh, Natural English Conversations. That's in the links in the description. Uh, that, cor that course is a relatively short one, but has eight lessons on how to have natural English conversations like it sounds. So grab that. That is free. And you can also get 30% off the monthly membership for a whole year. So if you want to access, if you've maybe checked out my courses in the past, if you want to access all of them that are on the website, you can go and review that. If you click through the link, it should give you 30% off for one year, but it's monthly. So it's um, monthly, so you can cancel any time monthly, uh, but it's 30% it's off for the first 12 months, if that makes sense. I hope it does. Catherine says, I would volunteer keeping seniors company and take them to their medical appointments. That is fantastic. I admire that. I, I can't say I would do the same. Um, I would like to think that I would, but knowing myself, I probably wouldn't. 
if I'm not doing it now, am I? Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I won't sell myself short. Maybe that's what I would do. I don't know. Let's see. What else? If you're watching and you sometimes prefer to listen, you can click on the link in the description to check out the podcast version, listening only. Or if you're listening and you prefer to watch, then you can head over to Facebook and YouTube and watch. And there are advantages there because then you can see things. For example, sometimes I have slides on screen or typing something or showing something or sharing something. So it can, it can help to have the visual. Although I do try to bear in mind that a lot of people prefer to listen and that's fine. And I try to make it a good listening experience as well. All right, that's it. Now we're going to read a short story later for listening comprehension. And oh, thank you very much. Catherine says nice background. Yeah, made it myself using AI. Hey, <laughs> um, we're going to be reading the necklace. And uh, that's going to be more for listening comprehension. But first, but first, we are going to uh, we're going to get into some other stuff. All right. So for those of you, for those of you who read, good for you. Maybe you read articles. Maybe you read books, maybe you read short stories, whatever. For those of you brave people who read to improve your English, I would like to share with you some ways to really get the most out of your reading. And we're going to be looking at how we can use ChatGPT to do this. Although some of the things we're going to talk about, if you chose not to use ChatGPT, would still be possible because they are best practices for remembering what you read and getting the most out of it. I read a lot. I read books like, I got one on my desk right here. The book is Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition. But I also listen to a lot of audiobooks. And I want to make sure, that's just random by the way, I've, just the nearest book. Anyway, I, I like to make sure that I get the most out of what I read. If you spend time doing that, you don't want it to just in one ear and out the other. You want to get the most out of it, right? Right. So how do you do that? So let's hop over to, let's hop over to chat GPT for a second. And what we're going to do is talk through some ideas for making sure that you retain what you read, that you can maximize your new vocabulary discovery, right? Discovery of new words, uh, that you can learn stuff based on what you're reading and make sure that your understanding is, let's say, the correct understanding, okay? So the first we're going to talk about is annotation. And this is basically to 
get information about specific things within the text, right? Now, some people take notes as they're reading a book. They'll circle something or underline something and then write something down to help them remember. And, and that's great. I, I would encourage you to do that. This is, this is called active reading, right? Or active participation. One thing that you can do to really retain anything you read is to try your best to participate. If you receive information, if you get information, uh, you might remember stuff you may not, but the chances of it eventually fading or fading fairly quickly are higher than if you were to have some kind of output, even if that output is thoughts. So what people do is they underline things and that is, that is output, right? Just to underline a word, that is output. Or they underline and they make a note in the margin. That is output too. You're telling your brain this is important and that makes it a little stickier in your brain, in your memory. And it might help you to then talk about it more completely later if you're having a conversation about a book you read. But there's a lot that that could include as well. And we're going to look at using ChatGPT to do that. Okay, so let's say I come across a, a paragraph or a sentence even. And there's one little piece in that that I think I understand, but I want to make sure I've got it, right? So I just want to, I just want to play with it a little bit to make sure my understanding of the meaning is what it is, is the correct understanding. So let's say I'm reading a short story, The Necklace, okay. What I would do is I would, I would say something like, what is meant, and then give the, ex the specific quote or the thing I wanna, I wanna focus on in context, what is meant by sought after in this paragraph from the necklace. So the necklace is the short story I'm reading and I want to know sought after in this context. Okay, so this is this is kind of like underlining something, right? And this is like underlining something and then going to look up what it might mean just to double check my understanding. Okay, then I give the whole thing, the whole paragraph. She had no dress, no jewels, nothing. And these were the only things she loved. She felt she was made for them alone. She wanted so much to charm, to be envied, to be desired and sought after, sought after. I think what she's saying is uh, people want to be around her. I think that's the idea, but I want to check that. Okay, so this is, this is equivalent to a highlighter and a little bit of looking up. We get from ChatGPT in the paragraph from the necklace, sought after means to be desired, pursued, or wanted by others. Uh, the protagonist, Mathilde uh, Loisel, I think is how you say it, Loisel, I think, wishes to be someone whom people actively seek out or pursue either for her beauty, grace, or social standing. Okay. She wants to be recognized, admired, and yearned for by others. The phrase emphasizes her deep longing for attention, validation, and admiration in society. The desire is central to the story's themes and the choices 
and actions of Matilde throughout the narrative. Is it Matilde or Matilde? I think it's Matilde. I could be wrong. So that's adding a lot, right? You're kind of fleshing out the little piece that you're underlining and getting a bit more context, checking your understanding. Good. Now, let me zoom in just a little bit here so we can see this a little bit better. Now, maybe I want to check my understanding based on the whole thing. I want to understand my overall comprehension. Or perhaps I'm struggling to understand. So you would provide the same paragraph and, and then say, reword the whole paragraph in a simpler way so that it is easier to understand. Okay. Uh, now, you, you, there's a risk that, that by just sending this or, 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 um, or requesting this right now, I will, I will get the paragraph, the response paragraph. So I'm going to just uh, provide it just to make sure it's super clear. Okay. She didn't have fancy dresses or jewelry, even though she loved them. She believed they were meant for her. She wished to be charming and wanted others to envy and desire her. Well, that's it, right? That is a simplified version. So if you ever come across when you're reading something, a really dense paragraph, and you're sitting there trying to just understand what the heck is this paragraph all about, you can use this very simple prompt, reword the whole paragraph in a simpler way so that it is easier to understand and then provide that paragraph that you're struggling with then read the simple version oh okay that's that's pretty easy to understand then go back and make sure you understand the original now that you know what it is saying you can go back you can review it and you can connect the dots together okay good now, we could do a variation of this, which would be to simply ask for an explanation of the meaning. This is, you know, just a follow-up thing. There are a lot of ways to play with this and to interact with a text. I think that's the most important thing to, to take away is what we're doing is interacting with the text now. And by having that interaction, that is our kind of output. We're not writing a summary. We don't have to. We're not doing too much. We're just interacting with it a little bit. And that is one of the things that makes it easier to remember that increases retention. Okay, so, so simply explain the meaning of the whole paragraph. The woman lacked luxury items like fancy dresses and jewelry, but she deeply desired them. She believed uh, she believed she deserved such things and wanted to be admired and desired by others because of them. So in this case, the the explanation of the meaning and the variation are pretty similar, but if it's longer or more dense, we might get a simpler response, easier to digest if we ask for the explanation. Okay. Now, we might go a little bit further with our output when we're reading this. Whatever it is, again, we could be talking about an article, a novel, dense philosophy, right? We might want to have a discussion with ChatGPT about the text. 
and actually try to pick ChatGPT's brain a little bit. Now, this is something that's uh, a little bit more challenging to do without ChatGPT, right? Uh, if you have someone else who's reading along with you, you can go back and forth and discuss it. That's, I would say, the value of a book club to check your understanding. I would encourage you to join a book club. Those, those can be great. But maybe, maybe I want to start or initiate with a question, a fairly open question, to get ChatGPT's thoughts first and then maybe provide my own. All right, so what are the core themes? I don't need to have that there. What are the core themes of the necklace? The necklace by Guy de... What, how do you say his name? Maupassant? I, I'm not sure how to say his name. It's a French name. I'm not totally sure. Touches on several core themes. Pride and envy. Matilda's deeply unsatisfied with her social standing. A deception and appearance versus reality. The beautiful necklace that appears to be made of diamonds and represents wealth and status. Okay, spoilers, okay. Uh, the, the consequences of choices. Matilda's decision to borrow the necklace and her subsequent choice not to inform uh, Madame Forrester of its loss led to a decade of hardship for Louiselle. Socioeconomic class. The story highlights the struggles and aspirations of the lower middle class. Okay, fate and unpredictability. Sacrifice. Okay, so these are the themes. And then, and then we might have a follow-up kind of conversation. I could ask further questions. I could ask ChatGPT to ask me questions. But again, the main thing is we're just trying to go back and forth a little bit. Now, what about the English learning part of this? Specifically, I want to expand my vocabulary. We kind of did that when we looked at that specific uh, piece, right? We looked at specifically, what does sought after mean? Now, that's just going to simply explain that. But perhaps I want more. So I want to understand a more full explanation. I want to get a more full explanation of a particular word or idiom or phrase that then expands on that to give me the connotation, the other meanings it might have, how common it is. Because one thing you'll find is you're reading something and then you see that this word seems to be outdated, but then why is it here? Should I learn it or not? If it's outdated and no one uses this word, then maybe I shouldn't use it. Is it worth learning? This kind of stuff comes up. So here's what we can do. Explain the meaning. And again, we're providing the full context. We want to do that. Always a good idea when you're working with uh, ChatGPT to provide the full context. Explain the meaning of rapturously in this sentence or the sentence I provide. Also, give any common synonyms. Uh, explain how common it is. Give any social connotations. Here is the sentence. She threw her arms around her friend's neck embraced her rapturously, then fled with her treasure. So I want to know, I want to know synonyms. I want to know how common it is. I want to know if there are any connotations, right? So let's try this. 
And you can word that prompt in different ways. It's fine. In the given sentence, rapturously describes the manner in which she embraced her friend. Meaning, rapturously means with extreme joy, enthusiasm, or pleasure. The action was filled with deep emotion and elation. Okay, so we've got the meaning. That's a pretty good definition, actually. What are some synonyms? I hear you, Circle. My cat is rapturously... Uh, Seeking my attention, perhaps. I hear you. I hear you, Circle. I hear you. I will pay attention to you later, okay? All right. Now I can hear him laying down. He's cool. Uh, let's see. So synonyms would be something that has words that have the same meaning. Ecstatically, enthusiastically, passionately, exuberantly. Okay, good. The word rapturously is not an everyday term and might be considered slightly more literary or elevated in tone. It's used in contexts where a heightened sense of emotion is to be conveyed. Okay, so that helps. It's not an everyday term. So maybe I wouldn't just walk around using rapturously all the time. I would say that's accurate. I don't think I've really used it ever, maybe, but I do know it. Why do I know it? Because I've read a lot of literature, so I've read it. But I, I don't think I've ever said it because it's not very conversational. Using rap social connotations, using rapturously often suggests a sense of intense happiness or deep emotional connection. There isn't a strong negative or positive connotation to the word itself. However, in, uh, uh, in contexts, it generally leans toward a very positive euphoric feeling. Okay, good. So we get the idea and we know that it's not very common and we have the connotation, so that's useful. So you can do that when you discover or find a new word that uh, you want to understand more deeply, all right? Uh, now we might take it a little bit further and again, I, I'm encouraging you to kind of play around with this. What I'm giving you are not the only ways that you can, uh, that you can interact with a text or something you're reading. There are a lot of ways to do that but I'm just giving you some, some ideas to use ChatGPT as a partner to annotate, to do active reading, to define, to review, right? Create a challenging quiz to test my understanding of the short story, The Necklace, with different types of questions. Okay, so let's try this. I want to actually see how well I remember the story itself. Multiple choice. What does uh, Mathilde Loisel envy the most about other women? Their husbands, their friendships, their wealth and possessions? I'm going to go with C. True or false? Mathilde believes she was born into a life below her deserving and she would have been born. Uh, Mathilde believes she was born into a life below her deserving and she should have been born into a life of luxury. Uh, true? Okay, there's a short answer. I'm going to skip that one. But I would, I could do that and then ask ChatGPT to give me feedback on that. Uh, okay, so matching different question types. So you can ask for anything. Quizzes, discussion questions, whatever it is. right? And if you're a teacher, this could be a very powerful tool for generating discussion questions based on something that you're teaching right to your students so that's 
uh, another very powerful way to use tools like ChatGPT. So play around with this, and I would encourage you to do it for anything you're reading, to have it open as you're reading whatever you're reading, and to read consistently. That's very important. If it makes reading more enjoyable, great, right? Great. Use it as a tool, right? That's what I do. Often when I'm reading online, I have it open. If I want to explore something more deeply, if I want to remember something, I, I do this pretty regularly, actually, as a way to, again, increase my comprehension, to interact with the text a little bit, to do active reading so that it sticks better, so that I can actually talk about what I've read, which it, in my view is an important thing to be able to do. Okay, if you have any questions about this, let me know. Let me know how it goes in the comments. If you haven't already done so, don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe. And also get a free course, Natural English Conversations, in the links in the description. Okay. Catherine says, what's Hegel about? <laughs> That's a big question. So, uh, just to quickly answer that, I suppose, Hegel, German philosopher, who had a very big influence on the history of particularly Western philosophy, who had an influence on Karl Marx, uh, and he had this idea that the world, the universe, was all spirit uh, moving toward a point of kind of higher knowing, right? An unfolding process, and history is part of that unfolding process. And as part of that, there's a famous piece that I think more people know about uh, where a thing happens, let's call it a historical event or movement, and then there's a response to that thing. And so you can think of it like a pendulum swinging back and forth. So thing happens, but because it's kind of too far on one side, then there is a response to that, which may be too far on the other side. And then it kind of balances and swings back to the middle, but it's not exactly the middle point because it's also forward in time. So the first one is called the thesis. And then the second one is called the antithesis. And then the last one is called the synthesis. And it's not exactly a combination of the two. It, it's sort of taking both into consideration as this sort of unfolding throughout history happens over time. This is the basic, the basic idea. That's not all, all that Hegel is about, but that's, that's the basic idea of the sort of famous Hegelian dialectic. It's, it's called the Hegelian dialectic. For Hegel, this was a spirit, a spirit thing, right? So the, the movement of of spirit or, or reason through time in this kind of unfolding process of history. 
But then Marx took the idea from Hegel and made it more about the world, the real world, politics, and uh, power. And so he, he sort of, as I understand it, I haven't read much Marx, to be honest. Marx is Hegelian ideas kind of physicalized in a way. That's kind of my understanding. I could be wrong because I haven't, I haven't read a lot of Marx and Hegel's difficult too. <laughs> but uh, I, so the book that I had here, I, I haven't, uh, I've only just recently started it, but so apparently Hegel and the Hermetic tradition, apparently whoever wrote this book, Glenn Alexander McGee, thinks that Hegel was, in, was inspired by or influenced by the Hermetic tradition, which is interesting. How could that be? Well, in the Hermetic tradition, all is mind. So essentially, uh, everything is mental. We're living in, a, in the mind of, of God. Okay, well, you could kind of see how that lines up with, with Hegel, right? Because he, that was his concept of, of spirit. So I could see how that, how that lines up. But, and then there's an unfolding process. And maybe, I don't know, we'll see. I haven't, I haven't, I need to read more to really understand the argument. But we'll see. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, so speaking of the necklace, I actually want to read it. I actually want to read it for you. But I think we probably need a change of scenery. What do you think? How about this? Kind of a French French town going on here. Bit of a French town. Can I get some? Uh, get some very sort of low low music happening here. So there are a lot of there are a lot of classic short stories that American students who go to public school and then maybe university read. There are a lot. They're collections of short stories. And one of them that is often read is called The Necklace. But there are many more. I was hoping to get a physical copy. I ordered it. I was hoping to get it on time, but I didn't. So I'm going to be reading from a web version. The Necklace. A pretty famous short story. Now, there are some French names in here. And I cannot pretend that my French... Oh, let me lower this. I cannot pretend that my pronunciation of French names is good. So I'll do my best, right? Let me just check something. Check the audio. Let's go... There we go. 
Okay, that's better. I have to check the audio that way. All right. So here we go. We're going to read through the whole thing. This is to test your listening. If you want to challenge your listening skills, pay attention. See if you can pick out the context. If you don't know a word, see if you can get the meaning based on the whole sentence or paragraph, right? Don't give up. If you don't understand something, don't say, okay, this is too hard, right? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Okay. We're going to just read through this, this short story. And then I want you to, as we're going, kind of reflect on it. What are you getting from it? What are the themes? This is also one of the things that in middle school and high school and even university that you have to talk about when you read short stories, the themes or motifs, uh, the motivations of the main characters, right? All right. So she was one of those pretty and charming girls born as if by an error of fate into a family of clerks. She had no dowry, no expectations, no means of becoming known, understood, loved, or wedded by a man of wealth and distinction. And so she let herself be married to a minor official at the Ministry of Education. So sad. <laughs> she dressed plainly, plainly because she had never been able to afford anything better. But she was as unhappy as if she had once been wealthy. Women don't belong to a caste or class. Their beauty, grace, and natural charm take the place of birth and family. Natural delicacy, instinctive elegance, and a quick wit determine their place in society and make the daughters of commoners the equals of the very finest ladies. She suffered endlessly, feeling she was entitled to all the delicacies and luxuries of life. She suffered because of the poorness of her house as she looked at the dirty walls, the worn-out chairs, and the ugly curtains. All these things that another woman of her class would not have even noticed, would not even have noticed, tormented her and made her resentful. The sight of the little Brenton girl who did her housework filled her with terrible regrets and hopeless fantasies. She dreamed of silent antechambers hung with oriental tapestries, lit from above by torches in bronze holders, while two tall footmen in knee-length breeches napped in huge armchairs, sleepy from the stove's oppressive warmth. She dreamed of vast living room. F she dreams. She, she dreamed of vast living rooms furnished in rare old silks, elegant furniture loaded with priceless ornaments, and inviting smaller rooms perfumed, made for afternoon chats with close friends, famous, sought-after men, who all women envy and desire. Nice. When she sat down to dinner at a round table covered with a three-day-old cloth. What does that mean? 
I'm trying to understand that. A three-day-old? What? Why can't a cloth be three days old? <laughs> okay, maybe cloth. Maybe cloth is paper or something. I'm missing that reference. But okay, whatever. Opposite her husband, who lifting the lid off the soup, shouted excitedly, "Ah, beef stew! <laughs> what could be better?" Uh, I laugh. Yeah, I identify with that with that husband. I mean, in the sense that I I have I'm a man of simple needs. <laughs> when I think of beef stew, I also think, ah, great! <laughs> what could be better than this? Uh, okay. She dreamed of fine dinners of shining silverware of tapestries which peopled the walls with figures from another time and strange birds in fairy forests. She dreamed of delicious dishes served on wonderful plates of whispered gallantries, listened to with an inscrutable smile as one ate the pink flesh of a trout or the wings of a quail. She had no dresses, no jewels, nothing. And these were the only things she loved. She felt she was made for them alone. She wanted so much to charm, to be envied, to be desired and sought after. She had a rich friend, a formal, former schoolmate at the convent, whom she no longer wanted to visit because she suffered so much when she came home. For whole days afterwards, she would weep with sorrow, regret, despair, misery. What a miserable person. One evening, her husband came home with an air of triumph, holding a large envelope in his hand. Look, he said. Hold on a second. There's a... There we go. A cat, a cat rubbing against my leg. All right. Look, he said. Here's something for you. She tore open the paper and drew out a card on which was printed the words, The Minister of Education and Mademoiselle Georges Jamponneau. I'm <laughs> just guessing the French pronunciation. That's a French name. I apologize if my pronunciation of French names is not on point. Request the pleasure of... Uh... Uh... Monsieur and the Madame Louiselle, Louiselle's company at the ministry on the evening of Monday, January 18th. Instead of being delighted as her husband had hoped, she threw the invitation on the table resentfully and muttered, What do you want me to do with that? But my dear, I thought you would be pleased. You never go out, and it will be such a lovely occasion. I had awful trouble getting it. Everyone wants to go. It is very exclusive. And they're not giving many invitations to clerks. The whole ministry will be there. She stared at him angrily and said impatiently, And what do you expect me to wear if I go? He hadn't thought of that. He stammered, Why, the dress you go to the theater in. It seems very nice to me. Again, <laughs> I think this he's such a, a a guy a man you know that one looks good <laughs> that's not how it goes when you've got a wife okay 
He stopped stunned, distressed to see his wife crying. Two large tears ran slowly from the corners of her eyes towards the corners of her mouth. He stuttered. What's the matter? What's the matter? With great effort, she overcame her grief and replied in a calm voice as she wiped her wet cheeks. Nothing. Only I have no dress and so I can't go to this party. Give your invitation to a friend whose wife has better clothes than I do. <laughs> he was distraught, but tried again. Let's see, Mathilde. I think that's how you say that, but I could be wrong. Again, the French names, I apologize. Let's see, Mathilde. How much would a suitable dress cost? One which you would one which you could use again on other occasions. Something very simple? She thought for a moment, computing the cost, and also wondered what amount she could ask for without an immediate refusal and an alarmed exclamation from the thrifty clerk. At last, she answered hesitantly, I don't know exactly, but I think I could do with 400 francs. He turned a little pale because he had been saving that exact amount to buy a gun and treat himself to a hunting trip the following summer in the country of Nanterre with a few friends who went lark shooting there on Sundays. However, he said, very well, I can give you 400 francs, but try to get a really beautiful dress. The day of the party drew near and Madame Louiselle seemed sad, restless, anxious. Her dress was ready, however. One eve her dress was ready, however. One evening her husband said to her, "What's the matter? You've been acting strange these last 3 days." She replied, "I'm upset that I have no jewels." <laughs> "I'm upset that I have no jewels, not a single stone to wear. I will look cheap." I would almost rather not go to the party. You could wear flowers, he said. They're just as they're they are very fashionable at this time of year. For ten francs, you could get two or three magnificent roses. She was not convinced. No, there is nothing more humiliating than looking poor in the middle of a lot of rich women. How stupid you are, her husband cried. Go and see your friend Madame Forrester. Forestier. Madame Forestier, Forestier, and ask her to lend her to lend you some jewels. You know her well enough for that. She uttered a cry of joy. Of course, I had not thought of that. The next day, she went to her friend's house and told her of her distress. Madame Forestier, it's not Forestier, it's Forestier, right? Somebody help me with the French pronunciation. F O R E S T I E R, E A. Madame Forestier, Forestier, I don't know, went to her mirrored wardrobe, took out a large box, brought it back, opened it, and said, Madame Louiselle, choose, my dear. Basically, whatever you want. Uh, oh, I'm not supposed to explain things. Oh, yeah. First, she saw some bracelets, then a pearl necklace, then a gold Venetian cross set with precious stones of exquisite craftsmanship. She tried on the jewelry in the mirror, hesitated, could not bear to part with them, to give them back. She kept asking, you have nothing else? Why, yes, but I don't know what you like. Suddenly, she discovered in a black satin box a superb diamond necklace, and her heart began to beat with 
uncontrollable desire. Her hands trembled as she, as she took it. She fastened it around her neck, uh, over her high-necked dress, and stood lost in ecstasy as she, looked, as she looked at herself. Then she asked anxiously, hesitating, Would you lend me this? Just this? Why, yes, of course. She threw her arms around her friend's neck, embraced her rapturously, then fled with her treasure. The day of the party arrived. Madame Louiselle was a success. She was prettier than all of the other women, elegant, gracious, smiling, and full of joy. All the men stared at her, asked her name, tried to be introduced. All the cabinet officials wanted to waltz with her. The minister noticed her. Ooh, the minister, the minister. She danced wildly with passion, drunk on pleasure, forgetting everything in the triumph of her beauty, in the glory of her success, in a sort of cloud of happiness, made up of all this respect, all this admiration, all these awakened desires, of that sense of triumph that is so sweet to a woman's heart. She left at about four o'clock in the morning. Her husband had been dozing since midnight in a little deserted ante-room with three other gentlemen whose wives were having a good time. She threw over her shoulders the clothes that uh, she threw over her shoulders the clothes he had brought for her to go outside in, the modest clothes of an ordinary life, whose poverty contrasted sharply with the elegance of the ball dress. She felt this and wanted to run away, so she wouldn't be noticed by the other women who were wrapping themselves in expensive furs. Louiselle held her back. Wait a moment. You'll catch a cold outside. I'll go find a cab. But she would not listen to him and ran down the stairs. When they were finally in the street, they could not find a cab and began looking for one, shouting at the cabmen they saw passing in the distance. They walked down toward the Sienne, the Sienne in despair, shivering with cold. At last, they found on the quay one of those old nightcabs that one sees in Paris only after dark, as if they were ashamed to show their shabbiness during the day. They were dropped off at their door in the Rue des de Martyrs, the Rue des Martyrs, and sadly walked up the steps to their apartment. It was all over for her, and he was remembering that he had to be back at his office at ten o'clock. In front of the mirror, she took off the clothes around she took off the clothes around her shoulders, taking a final look at herself in all her glory. But suddenly she uttered a cry. She no longer had the necklace around her neck. Wow. Wow. What is the matter? asked her husband, already half undressed. She turned towards him, panic-stricken. I have... I have... I no longer have Madame Forestier's necklace. He stood up, distraught. What? How? That's impossible. They looked in the folds of her dress, in the folds of her cloak, in the pockets, everywhere, but they could not find it. Are you sure you still had it on when you left the ball? he asked. 
Yes, I touched it in the hall of the ministry. In the ministry. I touched it in the hall of the ministry. But if you had lost it in the street, we would have heard it fall. It must be in the cab. Yes, that's probably it. Did you take his number? No, and you? Didn't you notice it? No. They stared at each other, stunned. At last, Luisel put his clothes on again. I'm going back, he said. Over the whole route we walked. See if I can find it. He left. She remained in her ball she remained in her ball dress all evening without the strength to go to bed, sitting on a chair with no fire, her mind blank. Her husband returned at about seven o'clock. He had found nothing. He went to the police, to the newspapers to offer a reward, to the cab companies, everywhere the tiniest glimmer of hope led him. She waited all day in the same state of blank despair from before his frightful disaster. Luisel returned in the evening, a hollow, pale figure. He had found nothing. You must write to your friend, he said. Tell her you have broken the clasp of her necklace and that you are having it mended. It will give us some time to look some more. She wrote as he dictated. At the end of one week, they had lost all hope, and Louiselle, who had aged five years, well, declared, we must consider how to replace the jewel. The next day, they took the box which had held it and went to the jeweler whose name they found inside. He consulted his books. It was not I, madame, who sold the necklace. I must simply have supplied the case. And so they went from jeweler to jeweler, looking for a necklace like the other one, consulting their memories, both sick with grief and anguish. In a shop at the Palais Royal, they found a string of diamonds which seemed to be exactly what they were looking for. It, would, it was worth 40,000 francs. They could have it for 46,000. If it's worth 40,000 francs, why can they have it for 46? Oh, sorry. I misread that. 36,000. Oh, they made a deal. Okay, that makes sense. 36. My brain saw 40. Oops. So they begged the jeweler not to sell it for three days, and they made an arrangement that he would uh, take it back for... 34,000 francs if the other necklace was found before the end of February. Louisel had 18,000 francs, which his father had left him. Left him means, oh, I shouldn't explain. He passed away. He would borrow the rest. And he did borrow, asking for 1,000 francs from one man, 5,000 from another, five Louis, five Louis? Five Louis here, five Louis, is Louis a unit of money? Five Louis here, five Louis there, okay. He gave notes, made ruinous agreements, dealt with usurers, with every type of money, uh, money lender. He compromised the rest of his life, risking signed notes without knowing if he could ever honor them. And terrified by the anguish still to come, by the black misery about to fall on him by the prospect of every physical privation, every moral torture he was about to suffer. 
He went to get the new necklace and laid down on the jeweler's counter 36,000 francs. When Madame Louisel took the necklace back, Madame Forestier said coldly, You should have returned it sooner. I might have needed it. Gotta take a quick drink here. Drink break. To the relief of her friend, she did not open the case. If she had detected the substitution, what would she have thought? What would she have said? Would she have taken her friend for a thief? From then on, Madame Louiselle knew the horrible life of the very poor. But she played her part heroically. The dreadful debt must be paid. She would pay it. They dismissed their maid. They changed their lodgings. They rented a garret under the roof. She came to know the drudgery of housework, the odious labors of the kitchen. She washed the dishes. She washed the dishes, staining her rosy nails on greasy pots and the bottoms of pans. She washed the dirty linen, the shirts, and the dishcloths, which she hung to dry on a line. She carried the garbage down the street every morning and carried up the water, stopping at each landing to catch her breath. And dressed like a commoner, she went to the fruitiers, the grocers, the butchers, her basket on her arm, bargaining, insulted, fighting over every miserable sou. I think that's maybe another unit of money. Each month they had to pay some notes, renew others, get more time. Her husband worked every evening doing accounts for a tradesman, and often, late into the night, he sat copying a manuscript at five sous a page. And his life lasted ten years. At the end of ten years, they had his... Oh, sorry, again, misread that. I knew that didn't make sense. I think he died. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta slow down. My eyes are getting ahead of my mouth. And this life lasted 10 years. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> Not his life. <laughs> uh, okay. And this life lasted 10 years. At the end of 10 years, they had paid off everything. Everything. At usurer's rates. And with the accumulations of compound interest. Madame Louisel looked old now. She had become strong, hard and rough, like all women of impoverished households. With hair half combed, with skirts awry, and reddened, hand, reddened hands, she talked loudly as she washed the floor with great swishes of water. But sometimes, when her husband was at the office, she sat down near the window and thought of that evening at the ball so long ago. When she had been so beautiful, so admired. What would have happened if she had not lost that necklace? Who knows? Who knows? How strange life is, how fickle, how little is needed for one to be ruined or saved. One Saturday, as she was walking in the Champs-Élysées, 
Champs-Élysées, to refresh herself after the week's work, suddenly she saw a woman walking with a child. It was Madame Forestier, still young, still beautiful, still charming. Madame Louiselle felt emotional. Should she speak to her? Yes, of course. And now that she had paid, she would tell her all. Why not? She went up to her. Good morning, Jeanne. Maybe that's her name. The other, astonished to be addressed so familiarly, so familiarly by this common woman, did not recognize her. She stammered. But, Madame, I don't know. You must have made a mistake. No, I am Mathilde Louiselle. Her old friend uttered a cry. Oh, my poor Mathilde, how you've changed. Yes, I've had some hard times since I last saw you, and many miseries, and all because of you. Me? How can that be? You remember that diamond necklace that you lent me to wear to the ministry party? Yes, well? Well, I lost it. What do you mean? You brought it back. I brought you back another exactly like it, and it has taken us ten years to pay for it. It wasn't easy for us. We had very little, but at last it is over, and I am very glad. Madame Forestier was stunned. You say that you bought a diamond necklace to replace mine? Yes. You didn't notice then? They were very similar. And she smiled with a proud and innocent pleasure. That is, uh, Mathilde uh, smiled. Madame Forestier, deeply moved, took both her hands. Oh, my poor Mathilde. Mine was an imitation. It was worth 500 francs at most. The end. That's it. That's it. Interesting. All right, so I wonder how much you're able to understand. I mean, as you can hear me reading this, there are things that I'm not quite getting, you know, uh, especially the French, French pronunciations of names and things like that. So it's a gradient, you know, we're all not, you know, reading my, it's, it's tough, right? So if there's anything you didn't get listening, that's okay. How much were you able to understand? How much were you able to get? Be honest with yourself. Now, when you're reading, try to participate in what you're reading. To ask yourself, what does that mean? What are the ideas that are being communicated? Not just the meanings of each word, right? And by doing that, by participating, you get more out of it, right? Now, listening is more challenging because you're not seeing the words, right? Um, so even though you might know the word if you saw it, you might not know when you hear it. Why is that? Well, if English is your second language, it's probably because you studied some English in school with your eyes, but you did less listening. And this is not the case for a native English speaker who grows up first listening to English and then learning to read, then going to school. It's the opposite. For most non-native English-speaking English learners, it's the first exposure is reading. 
school, studying, vocabulary, right? That's, that's most common. So if you find that your ability to listen is much lower than your ability to read with your eyes, you know what you need to work on. You need to listen to more books, audiobooks, watch more YouTube videos, challenge yourself, right? Go back and listen to this whole thing. Listen to other stories. Really try to challenge your listening because if you do that enough, if you do it frequently, you're going to get better. It's going to improve over time, but it does take practice. So work on that. If you have any questions, let me know. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe. And also get a free course, Natural English Conversations, in the links in the description. Social Vibe says, I understand 60%, I guess. Okay, pretty good. I wouldn't give myself 100%. There are a couple things I didn't know here. So number one, what I'm going to just say what I didn't get. Okay, so obviously the uh, French name pronunciations. Okay, so I, for example, is it is it Mathilde or Matilde or what? I don't know. Um, Madame and Mademoiselle, I think I think I got. Um, but there are a couple of place names that I just have no idea. Uh, like um, the toward the sea, this S E I N E Sin Sien Sien. I don't I shh, don't know. Um, and then the the Rue R U E De Mart M A Martyr Martyr in English, but how do you say that with the French pronunciation? I don't know. Rue de Martyr doesn't sound right in English, right? It's got to be French, more French pronunciation, but I don't know. Uh, and then uh, the S O U um, and Louis and S O U. So are Louis and S O U are these. Well, here's what we can do. So we can go over to ChatGPT, right? <clears throat> and let's see if we can find an example because I, I don't know these units. I know francs, right? So my, my, what my guess is that a franc is bigger than a louis and a louis is bigger than a roux. That's my guess. And I think they're all units. Okay, so... Let's just ask, um, what is a Louis and a Rue in the short story, The Necklace? Oops. All right. What is a Louis and a Rue in the short story, The Necklace? I think they're units of money. Has to be. Um, Louis, a Louis refers to a gold coin that is that was used in France. Specifically, it's shorthand for Louis d'Or, which was a popular French gold coin. In the context of the story, it provides a sense of the amount of money or the value of things. Okay. However, roux is not a term found in the standard versions of the necklace. 
It's po Oh, no, not Rue. Sue. Yes, sorry. It's possible that you might be referring to a different term. Yes. Sorry, not not Rue. Not Rue. Not Rue, but but Sue. S O U. Okay. That's what it is. Is that what it is? Um just looking at the story here. Let me do search S O U. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S O U. Okay. Yeah. What is Sue? I think I also think that is Marnie. Sue. A sou is a former French coin of low value. Over time, it became a colloquial term in French to refer to a very small amount of money, similar to how one might say a penny in English uh, to mean a trifling amount. In the context of the necklace, the, uh, the mention of a sou helps illustrate the financial strains and economic nuances faced by the characters. Yeah. So I think he was doing some... Uh, copying manuscripts at five sous a page. So he's getting basically five pennies a page. Not that much. It would be hard to save up. Boy, it'd be hard to save up five sous a page. That'd be tough. Ooh, that'd be hard. I don't know if I could do it. Five sous a page? No way, Jose. Five sous a page? I can't do it. Uh, and then I think that's the only thing I didn't understand was the money thing. I think everything else was pretty clear. Anyway, interesting story. Very interesting. Obviously, the um, ironic twist at the end is meant to cast a strong reflection on a hyper focus on pride and on vanity and on uh, maybe not not accepting your situation in life. Uh, I I don't know. There's some there's something there, but the the odd thing that I thought that I found was. They almost frame it, it's almost framed by the author as this 10 years of struggle is this punishment for essentially being vain, right? You were vain because you were vain. You said you needed a necklace because you said you needed a necklace. You borrowed a necklace. You lost it. And then your pride prevented you from figuring out what was really going on and you just borrowed a bunch more a bunch more money to pay for it so this is all back to your pride and your vanity and therefore you'll be punished for 10 years whereas my natural reading of that is more like at 10 years you learned how to maybe not enjoy but find hopefully what is valuable in life um it's not punishment it's more like um that this is real life right real life is hard for everybody and yeah get down and work hard wherever you are whatever is going on 
you know, don't stress because you don't have something, do what you got to do. And there's a lot of, it can be a lot of meaning there in that toil, I think. And that, so I, I read it more that way, but that might be a, that might be not the intended reading. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, let's go on. Let's go on. Give me one second. I'm just gonna, give me one second. I'm just gonna close, close this door. My cat opened the door. Now I need to close it. All right. So let's let's go to the next thing, shall we? We have another another topic to talk about. We're going to go on to uh, making summaries. Making summaries. Good. <clears throat> whether whether you are talking about a movie you watched or a book you read. Being able to summarize, give a basic idea of the story, can be very useful. So I want to give you some useful phrases for doing that. But I want to mention something unique about how it's done in English. So let's say, let's say you read a great book, okay? When you want to share what the book is about. This could be the synopsis, right? The summary of the story or just the story of the book, right? You want to tell that to a friend. You will probably do it in the present tense. Think about why. Well, you could go read that book right now and then you would be going through it in the present, right? Or you could go watch that TV show. Walter White is a chemistry teacher who decides to. Present tense. You could go do that right now. So often when we're giving summaries, particularly of movies, TV shows, books, stories, we use the present tense. It gets a little trickier when we're talking about our own experiences within that retelling. If you're zooming back to yourself in the movie theater, thinking about what's happening in the movie, then you might switch to the past tense. And I couldn't believe that he is. Could be how you say that. 
right? Maybe. Or I couldn't believe that he decides. It could be. So it can get a little tricky there, but let's put that aside. I want to focus on the most useful phrases that we might use to give these summaries. So let's start with setting. Setting is where and when a story takes place. Simply, we could say, it takes place in. The whole book is set in. Most of it happens at. So maybe it takes place in the 1930s or during the Great Depression. The whole book is set in space on the moon, right? The setting is the time and place of the story, right? Uh, if we go back to Breaking Bad, right? Set in, I believe, Phoenix, Arizona, right? I think it's Phoenix. Or New Mexico. Is it Albuquerque, New Mexico? It might be Al It's the Southwest. It's been a while since I've seen it. I forget. <laughs> it's the Southwest. So Albuquerque. I think it might be Albuquerque. Most of the series happens at a bar. So maybe there's, well, there's a, a few TV series that take place mostly inside of a pub, right? Or at a bar or at a particular restaurant. That's actually a common feature uh, of some sitcoms, for example. So that could be the setting. We could talk about the characters. The main character is. Now you could say something about the main character, maybe. Uh, selfish cheerleader. A greedy dentist. Something like that. The main character is maybe a, a rugged swordsman. Or you might say something about the character there. A rugged swordsman with a dark past, seeking vengeance for the death of his pet turtle. Right? Okay, so that's a, a description of the main character. Now I know. Now, to say that more conversationally, you're telling someone about this story. So, okay, there's this girl, and she can make things explode with her brain. So she can look at something, and it explodes. And uh, that is relevant later, so remember that. Okay, so I'm telling you what happens. I'm introducing characters so that then what I say later in the summary makes sense, right? Her best friend lives right next door and at night they often sneak out and wreak havoc on the neighborhood on roller skates with flamethrowers right so we're just introducing characters her best friend her neighbor her cat her dog his uncle his closest ally his bitterest enemy right that sort of thing we're bringing up characters now what about some specific story points Let's talk about some phrases that we might use to talk about those story points. So we have some, some characters. We've introduced them. We're talking about what's happening. And then I want to bring up some dr dramatic point of drama, an exciting thing that happens in the show, in the movie. What they don't realize is a tsunami is about to sweep through the city. So I'm telling you that, the characters don't know that yet, in the retelling, right? But I'm trying to tell you what's going on so that there's some context 
right? Or maybe to build up some anticipation, right? She has no idea that her best friend is actually a Russian agent who's been spying on her family for the last 10 years. Oh, okay. I'm interested. She has no idea. So I'm telling you a plot point, right? This is when things get crazy. So I, this is where there's a turning point, right? There's a, we've, we've gone up to this point. I'm telling you what's going on. And then, huh? There's a turn. Something happens after the tsunami. Once they realize she's a spy, then things get crazy. And again, this is, I'm giving you more phrases that are useful for a conversational summary of a movie TV show or story or book or whatever, right? This is not a formal summary of something. This is how you would do it more conversationally. One of the coolest parts is, now this is where you're talking about your feelings about the story as it happens. One of the coolest parts is when, okay, so they find out she's a spy, right? And then they confront her at her house. And when they open the door, right, it's filled with agents and they're all armed. And so then it turns into a car chase. Okay, so that's maybe one part that I think is very exciting or interesting. And one very cool sort of sentence that is often used to describe this sort of mayhem or craziness is all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose when they get trapped or they're being chased or they discover, right? This is when things get crazy. This is when things get wild, insane. All hell breaks loose. My favorite part, this is a simple one. My favorite part is when, now be careful there because you might want to avoid giving away part of the story. Sometimes you don't want to reveal something if you want to entice your friend to watch the show, to read the book. So my favorite part is when, eh, hmm, I almost said it, but I don't want to give anything away. Giving something away would be revealing something I shouldn't reveal because that would then remove some of the suspense for you because you should you should watch it you should read it or we use spoilers i don't want to spoil anything i don't want to spoil anything there's a pretty insane twist i don't want to spoil anything though <laughs> but now that could be a spoiler just saying that there's an insane twist right it could be a spoiler so even saying that might be too much. Hey, don't tell me there's a twist, <laughs> right? There's a twist is when things are going this way, you expected it to be that way, and then, oh, I found out it's not actually a village in the 1850s. It's actually the modern day, and this is a, a special community that's been set up by a university professor who wants to live like it's the 1860s, and they set up a no-fly zone. Oh, big twist. That would be the story, that would be the, the plot of uh, The Village, that M. Night Shyamalan movie. Or, oh, he's been dead the whole time, the whole movie. Okay, he's a ghost. Great. So that's the twist. And an insane twist would be very shocking, very surprising. I, again, I don't want to spoil anything. Oops, I don't want to spoil anything would be when you want to avoid giving away something. I don't want to spoil that we're going to do a summary, but I just did by accident because I showed it. Uh, 
Is it like spoiling, like vegetables spoiling? Yeah, kind of. Because if you say something, then they know. And that takes away the suspense. A quick anecdote here. A long time ago. When the sixth Harry Potter book came out. I believe it was six. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I was in line to get it. There's a huge long line to get the latest Harry Potter. Somebody had got their book and then immediately skipped to the end. They saw, you know, the thing that nobody knew at the time, Dumbledore dies. I don't think I'm spoiling anything there, right? Hopefully uh, it's been many years, right? So hopefully I'm not spoiling anything. 20 years. Uh, there's a 20-year expiration on things being spoiled, I think. So someone then drove, that, that person drove by the entire line in front, this line of hundreds of people waiting to get their books, and they screamed out the car window, Dumbledore dies! <laughs> and everyone was furious. It was uh, very memorable. And uh, I've never seen such rage from... Uh, so many people at one time. Um, maybe we would say, again, as part of the feelings that we would have throughout the story, I didn't expect this or I didn't expect that. I didn't expect someone to drive by the line and give away the ending or spoil the ending. I didn't expect the whales to uh, become such a major part of the story. Like in uh, the latest Avatar movie, the whales, I thought they were just whales. And then suddenly they're a big, a big uh, part of the plot. Cool. I didn't expect that, right? So let's put all this together. We're going to put it together in an example summary. Let's just read through it, okay? Here we go. We're going to look at the summary so that we can read through it. This is using the phrases we've talked about. I want to give you a sense for how to use these naturally. Have you heard about the book Shadows of Tomorrow? It takes place in a post-apocalyptic world where most cities are abandoned and nature has taken over. The whole book is set in the remnants of what was once New York City. The main character is a young woman named Lila who's trying to find her lost family. So there's this girl, Lila, right? She's brave, curious, and has a mysterious past. Ooh. She meets, now notice the present tense, she meets a group of survivors who seem friendly and kind. But what they don't realize is that among them there is a traitor. She has no idea that one of the people she's grown to trust is hiding a dark secret that could jeopardize their very existence. This is when things get crazy. They're not just fighting against the hardships of their world, but also unraveling betrayals and hidden agendas within their own group. One of the coolest parts is when they discover an underground bunker untouched by time, filled with history and treasures from the past. Then all hell breaks loose when they find out the bunker is not abandoned. It's been home to a society that has been living underground for generations, and they're not happy about the intrusion. Okay, My favorite part is when Lila deciphers an old world map that could potentially lead them to a safe safe haven. But there's a catch. It's located on the other side of what was once America. 
There's a pretty insane twist toward the end. Something about Lila's past that even she wasn't aware of. I won't say more than that. I don't want to spoil anything, but trust me, it's a must read. So this is just an, an example using some of the phrases that we looked at. So next time you watch a movie or next time you read a great book or you consume a story of any kind in any way and you want to retell the basics without giving away too much, try to use some of these phrases. If you have any questions about any of these that we talked about, please let me know in the comments. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe. And also, feel free to get a free course, Natural English Conversations. That is in the link in the description. Um, yeah, I think some of those phrases are very useful, in my opinion. I would say so. I would say so. So what have we learned today? We've learned that Sue is a coin. We've learned that Louis is a coin. And that is all. That is all we have learned. We have learned nothing else. We've also learned that I can drink coffee at night. Without, without an issue. I feel like uh, I can drink coffee. So I wonder if there are certain things that agree with people really well. And it's just natural for them. Uh, maybe that's a certain type of alcohol, you know. People just feel really comfortable and happy when they drink a particular type of alcohol, maybe red wine. But when they drink white wine, they feel angry and get a headache, right? Well, with coffee, I feel like coffee and me are, we share something. I don't know what it is, but I, can, I always enjoy drinking a cup of coffee. And it doesn't matter when. It can be 10 p.m. And I can have a big cup of coffee and then go to sleep without any difficulties. So it never keeps me up. But at the same time, I still can feel it when I need it. So in the morning, when I have a cup of coffee, it perks me up. It helps me wake up, right? So I get the benefits of coffee without the downsides. It's a, it's a wonderful relationship, I must say. It's a beautiful friendship that I have with coffee. All right, anyway. Well, I think we're going to call it a day. Uh, feel free to check out the courses. In addition to the free one, Natural English Conversations, you can get all my courses that are on the website in the link in the description. 30% off the monthly membership. Now, 30% off the monthly membership means 30% off every month for the first 12 months. So you can cancel any time, but for every month within the first 12 months, you're only paying 70% of the full price. Pretty good deal. And you're accessing all the courses. So I would say that is a fantastic deal. But if you want to get a one-year membership, you can get that too. So check those out. If you're watching and you would prefer to listen, you can do that in the links in the description. If you're listening and you prefer to watch, links in the description. Join the free Discord if you would like to connect with me directly. Ask me questions. If you want to get updates on when things are coming out, movie or uh, videos and uh, 
podcasts or whatever courses. Also, it would be probably best to join the Discord. And otherwise, have a great one. Have a good one. Uh, stay safe. And I look forward to uh, I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you so much for joining. Have a good week. Have a good weekend. Have a good year. Uh, have a good whatever. See you in the next one. Bye.